Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And as you open it, bow down with me and pray. Father, we so desperately need you right now that you would speak your word through me, but by the Holy Spirit, apply these words to us and encourage us to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. I know it's a big passage, um, but it is about our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King. We've been following with Pastor Tim, and I'm grateful for uh, the Lord that he is raising a pastor teacher for us, and that he's taken a load of work and teaching through the Scripture and just plowing through Matthew. This is a great book for us. Until this moment, we read and we studied Jesus as the king who was born. And we saw the king who was baptized, the king who was tempted. And now we're going to the king who begins his ministry, who is gathering his subjects for his kingdom. And this is the passage for us. Let's read it. Chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. That was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Gentile, uh, Galilee of Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowd followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, I entitled this sermon, Follow the King. Here is the text, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right before Jesus started preaching in details. In chapter 5, 
Before we're going to go there, listening to Jesus' words, Jesus establishing his platform for this preaching. He is gathering crowd. He is healing the people. And he, is, he's, he wants us to pay attention to his own life. You know, it's interesting that we often, when we read the Bible, we pay attention to what Jesus said. And this is great. But I want us to focus on what Jesus did. How did he act so that we could follow him and observe his lifestyle? And as we do so, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we follow him on the pages of scripture like disciples in real life, the more his words would resonate with us. You know, it's, it's interesting that we, we like to hear what Jesus said, but we want to know what he did. And he would see, we would see and observe how did he live. And here's the secret. Observing Jesus' life will transform our lives. Observing Jesus' life will up transform our lives. Following Jesus and paying attention to what he does, how he feels, becomes powerful and example for us and transforming us into his image. We are studying the life of Jesus and we, we desperately need to see Jesus in our lives today and tomorrow because we learn from Christ. We learn from Peter. We learn from Andrew. We learn from other great men, but no one comparing but with Jesus. Jesus is the king. We learn to be like Christ. And this is an objective of every Christian. Learn to be like Christ. And Jesus is inviting us, and he said, follow what? Follow me. Follow me. You know, we follow many people. And I've just read that the most follow person on the planet, according to Wikipedia, in January 2021, was uh, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. Almost 300 million people follow him on Instagram. It's amazing. And there's too many voices and too many leaders and too many heroes are fighting for your attention and grabbing you so that you could follow them. But it's an interesting thing that you could follow one thing at a time. You cannot follow too many people. No matter how many people you like, you will follow something, one thing at a time. Jesus said this. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't. It's impossible. You will either serve one and disregard another. You cannot serve money and the Lord. God God warns us. He said, do not Take another God before me. Do not worship another God because you will worship either the other God or me. And he called us through Jesus Christ to follow one shepherd, to hear one voice, to follow King Jesus. Now, as we read this passage, we're going to split it in four different sections to four points. And I know this is an orthodox. In our church, we always preach three points, but this is going to be four points, and I hope I go through them all. So the point number one, how we can follow Christ, how we can be resembling his and his image, become in his image. Number one, we should be like Jesus, settle among the sinners. Settle among the sinners. It's interesting that Jesus, it says in verse 12, and you follow me in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into the custody, he withdrew into Galilee. 
it is so interesting. Why now? Why he withdrew right now? Well, Matthew, between verses 11 and 12, he omits a lot of stuff. His idea is to bring and present Jesus. There's a lot of things that are missing. Before John was actually taken into custody, Jesus was ministering around Jerusalem. If you read Gospel of John, Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus, in between verses 11 and 12, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. Jesus already renamed Peter, who was Simon. There are a lot of stuff happened, but Jesus withdrew into Galilee because John the Baptist was taken into custody. And the things got heated in Jerusalem, and he withdrew to the Galilee. Jesus was not afraid of the authorities because guess who was the tetrarch and king over Galilee? The very same person who put John into prison. So Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And there's a few reasons for, for that. There's few reasons why Jesus withdrew into Galilee. Reason number one, because Jesus loved the sinners, it is almost like Jesus wanted to pick the worst place on the face of the earth. He wants to pick the worst sinners and to settle among them. If you open the map and you would just reason and say, well, where can I go? Where is the most darkest place on this, in this region? And he would find a Galilee and he'd find a Capernaum, the most wicked place, and he would go and settle there. He settles among the Gentiles of Galilee. Capernaum was chosen because there was, they needed a, a lot of grace. Now, before that, Jesus went actually to Nazareth. Matthew doesn't speak about that, but Luke does. And he speak, go to Nazareth to his own people, and they rejected him. If you remember in chapter 4, when he was opening the book of the, and the scroll of Isaiah, and he was reading from book of Isaiah, giving them grace. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, release to uh, the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind. To set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he was, when he started praising Gentiles who received the grace, Nazarites almost killed him, almost throw him off the cliff. And Jesus withdrew into Nazareth. He settled among the most sinful region, among the most hope, hopeless region. And he preached the good news to them. He did this because Isaiah prophesied. That's what Jesus does. This is what the king does. This is what he, he doesn't pick the best spot. He doesn't pick the best people. He picks the worst people. And I could resonate with that. When he picked me, I know why he picked me. Because of this reason. Because he promised to go to the darkest, most sinful place. He fills, fulfills the prophecy to bring hope to the hopeless. People who sit in the darkness. It is in his sovereign grace, God did something wholly unexpected. He showed the light to the ignorant masses of Gentiles in Galilee. Now look with me. When Jesus withdrew into Galilee, how Matthew describes when he borrows from Isaiah verses 13 to 16. And this is very unique to Matthew. Matthew does this throughout the book. He paying attention that Jesus came to his own, but they didn't accept him and he goes to Gentiles right from the beginning of his ministry, 
right from the get-go, he is not just ministering somewhere else. As soon as John is finished with his ministry, he goes to the darkest place, to Gentiles, to the Gentile region, mixed people, and he preaches them the gospel. And if you remember how Matthew ends the book, where did he send his disciples? Go to all the nations. Go to all the nations where the darkness prevails. Now look with me. Matthew says that leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. What he says here that this used to be a region of Naphtali and Zebulun. This used to be part of the main region of Israel. This is the, the breadbasket of Israel. Remember that what happened after 722 B.C., 722 years before Christ actually was born. Israel was captured by Assyria and dispersed through all the nations. And they took all the nations and brought to Galilee. And so there are more, therefore no more Israel. Those tribes are all dispersed. Now in this supposedly Jewish territory, there is a mix of different people. This is people who were taken in the custody and then just mixed together and they would become a melting pot. Now it's interesting that it says how they worship in 2 Kings chapter 17. It says that they feared Jehovah and served their own gods. There was a mix of religion over there. It was just complete darkness. Matthew is describing also this, but this is by the sea beyond the Jordan. This is a geographical location, meaning that there was a highway from east to west. There was a highway that was going, uh, uh, providing the road. And so every nation that wanted to take over that region, they could. For centuries, the region was exposed to attacks from Syria, Assyria, Greeks, and so, etc., Invasion brings poverty, devastation, and destruction. So this was a hopeless, unprotected territory, mixed pot by all the people with mixed religion, brought with the Broadway. It's like the door, with a house without the doors. That region was. So anybody could go in, and when that happened, every idea comes in also. And so the people are accepting all sorts of things, worshiping all sorts of idols. And what they are devoted from is the true Torah, true worship of God. They are definitely in darkness. Now he describes this and he says, the Galilee of Gentiles, this is what it is. It became the Galilee of Gentiles, mixed people, predominantly pagan. Literally, word Galilee comes from Hebrew word circuit, Galil. And this refers to the 20 city, cities that Solomon decided to grant and give to Hiram, who helped him to build the temple. If you remember the story that Hiram helped the provision with the provision and the workers build the temple, and Solomon decided to give him a gift. And he gave him the circuit of the 20 cities that were in Galilee. When Hiram went to see and observe the city, he said, well, this is Kabul, meaning good for nothing. Would you give it to me? This is no good region. This is nothing. And so the Sea of Galilee, you see the, the open region, unprotected, mixed people with a mixed religion, good for nothing. 
The description goes further. He said, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. There are two descriptions about the spiritual condition of this, these people. They were sitting in the darkness without spirituality, depraved, without knowledge of the saving truth. Galilee was a dark place. And Jesus came as a light. You know, if you want to shine the light, you don't go on the streets where there's sun. You go in the dark place. And in the dark place, even the small match will be seen from a distance. And Jesus, this great light of the world, comes in and settles in among this dark place. Those people were sitting in a dark place for a long time. They were in their sins without even knowing it. Finally, it says that they saw a great light. And the final description of this region of Galilee, it says that they were those who were sitting in the land and a shadow of death upon them a light dawn. You know when there's a shadow of death and when you sit at the, at the bed when person is dying, he is under the shadow of death. He's not dead yet, but he is really close. It's like the car is running and the shadow goes before it in just a millisecond when the car would follow the shadow. And there were people sitting in the imminent presence of death. And this is the story of every, Christian, of every sinner, the story of every sinner. It might seem that you have years ahead of you, but you're live, living in the shadow of coming death. And it comes surely. I mean, what a hopeless situation. What a dark place to sit and to live among people who have no truth and no hope. And it says that Jesus, when he arrived, that he brought the light. He brought the light. Now, let me talk to you just for a second. Do you have desire to move somewhere? <laughs> like to move somewhere nice, to move somewhere peaceful, like by the sea, right? Where, where, place, where people are actually nice, you know? It would, be, it would be nice to go somewhere to a state when there's legislators uh, making the moral laws, right? When you don't have to worry, when you send your kid to school that he will be brainwashed by the socialist idea or atheism, it would be really, really nice. A state where the government follows the Bible, a place where, or a country where you take your guard when talking to a neighbor or a stranger without trying to figure out what is his political stand is, Right? Many are searching for that place, and I don't judge them. Be nice. All I read and know, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't look for that place. He looked for exactly opposite. It's like between the Roseville and North Highlands, he he said, I know what I'm choosing. I know where I'm going. It's like the places are San Francisco and, and, and Las Vegas. Okay, I, I know where I end up. 
you know, he lived in the place where holiness prevailed. He lived in that place. He was there where it was complete peace, comfort, where sin was not present. He lived with his heavenly father in his heavenly kingdom. And then he stooped down. And not just stooped down to the earth, to the best places of the earth. He stooped down and settled in. And he said, this is my hometown. And this is my city. This is where I resign. I'm going to pitch the tent among the worst sinners in the Galilee. Among the most ignorant, most immoral, most hopeless to bring them hope. And if we are his disciples, and if we are following Jesus, and if we want to be reflecting Jesus' character, only natural for us to say, well, this is what we should do. He settled among sinners. I remember Alex Montoya. He was a professor at seminary, but he's a pastor in the wor- one of the world's worst parts of Los Angeles. You know, he told us students, he said, when you, become a pa- when you become a pastor, don't jump the ship when you feel some problems. Don't just abandon the ship. Settle down, buy a house among your people, plant a several trees, and tell your people that you're not moving anywhere. You're here with them. Tell them that you will marry them and that you will bury them in a nice way. I like Pastor Emmanuel from Rosarita, Mexico. I was talking to him when we were there in Mexico a few months ago. He lived in a poor neighborhood, and he built a church there. And we asked him, well, why don't you move somewhere else where there's, you know, easier to get to access to the church? And he said, I don't want to move here from, from here to nowhere. This is my place. These are my people. These are the kids that I know. This the people that I minister, settle among the sinners. Number one, don't pick and choose. Get down to the business of living among the people. Number two, speak with sinners about the king. Settle with sinners. And then don't just settle. Don't just try to build a castle and build the the wall. Speak to sinners about the king. We must follow Jesus in the way how he speaks. And it's interesting that in verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Before, he did a lot of things, but he didn't clearly preach. He was waiting until John the Baptist was taken off the scene. And now his ministry began, and he begins to preach. And to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, you got to speak, right? You, you can't just live in the silence and just in your castle. You have to speak to people. Jesus didn't just settle down among the people who were deep in their hopelessness and sin. Jesus brought the solution to them. Not a popular solution, not widely accepted solution, but nevertheless, he spoke to them. He identified with them. He spoke to the people with the people about their problems. He gave them clear message. And it was a bold message. And he was keep preaching. Now, sometimes it takes a while 
to get to the point when you could actually speak to the people. But we must speak. We must speak. I heard the example that one in Scotland, when one man was hired by the former to work with another worker. And his boss and his master said, well, you see that man, don't talk to him about Jesus, because he knew that he was a Christian. Don't talk to him about Jesus until you get the permission. And he's asking, like, well, who's going to give me permission? And he said, well, actually, the Holy Spirit will allow you to speak to him. And before that, don't, don't speak. The Holy Spirit must open the door. And so the man did. And he was pastoring with him and, and worked with him for three years. Didn't say a word about Jesus. After three years, and one day, at one point, the, this plowman, this co-worker, burst out and he said, for God's sake, can you tell me about my soul or I will end up in hell? I mean, you have to wait, but, but sometimes you, you have to speak. You just don't live with sinners. You should speak to them. And following Jesus means to speak the, the true message of the gospel, the true message of the gospel. Too many times we just, we just pick and choose what we like, but the true message of the gospel, and it's presented here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is message what, what people need to hear. It's the same message as John the Baptist preached. Both of them said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both addressed the people's greatest need, repentance, and both started with the same urgent mes- message to change. Now, why is it important? Well, because this is our problem. Because this is a problem, even though we, we are full of sins, even though we sin a lot, it is hard for a sinner to admit that he's a sinner. It is hard. It is hard for a Jew, being a son of Abraham, to admit that he's outside of heavenly kingdom, outside of salvation. It is hard for a sinner to confess that you can enter the kingdom only through Jesus Christ and not by own. But this is the message that humbly need to be preached to people, that you're not in. It's not brimstones and fire from heaven, but this is what we want to communicate. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount, as we're going to go there, making this very same point, one point. The Sermon on the Mount is not about how you should live, even though that would be great. But the Sermon on the Mount is pointing out that you cannot live that way. You don't have it. At any point when you read Sermon on the Mount and you say, like, yeah, this I could do, and this maybe I could do, or I get, well, you should be saying, no, it's impossible for men to enter apart from the righteousness that is alien from me. In fact, Jesus is saying here, he said, look, unless your righteousness, chapter 5, verse 20, surpasses the righteousness of the scribe and Pharisee, you will not enter in the kingdom of heaven. In meaning that those people are outside of heaven. They're not in. Those who are listening, they are outside. And he said, you cannot enter into the heavenly kingdom unless your righteousness surpasses. At what point of your life you say, well, yeah, I'm actually better than the Pharisee and the scribes. I mean, their righteousness were pretty high. None of us are good. None of us are good. Driving this point home, Jesus was saying, you have heard that what was, was told to ancient, you shall not commit murder. 
And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty to go into the fiery hell. Who among us were not angry at some point? How did we get into idea that we became more better than righteousness of the Pharisees and now we can't enter? You are all were outside. The reason why you're in is because you accepted the message. I am not. I cannot. I cannot produce anything better. All I produce garbage at any moment of my life. And it's only through Jesus Christ and his righteousness I can. That is a true repentance. That is the work of God in a man denying himself and accepting Christ. Often I hear people say, I repented, meaning I'm feeling sorry for what I did. But there is no real change. An old sinful heart can, can be sorry and can feel bad about what he did or she did, about evil behaviors. But these things will not do then transform. One can accept that he is good for nothing in God's eyes. And only then God give a new heart. A new heart that created by God with total reliance on God's powerful grace is able to produce anything good and spiritual fruit. But I want to point out that when Jesus is preaching, and he's preaching like, like, like John the Baptist, there's a difference in what Jesus emphasizing. If you remember, John the Baptist was preaching the good news of the kingdom Emphasizing the bad news. Remember? John the Baptist preached something like this. The axe is already laid, already laid at the root of the tree. Unless you repent, you will be judged. That's what he preached. And people repented. He brought fear, trembling before upcoming judgment. When Jesus speaks in the same words, he emphasizing the grace aspect. It's almost like what Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is present for you. There's a grace of God in the kingdom where I am king, ruling justly, righteously, graciously. When Jesus was preaching in, in, in uh, Nazareth, they were saying, what gracious words fallen off his mouth. This is what, what they picked up on. He's speaking grace to them. He emphasizes grace aspect. He was preaching and teaching about the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom that is good, kingdom that prepares by his father for everyone who believes. Jesus explains the good news of the kingdom. You know, John the Baptist didn't heal anyone. Jesus healed many. John the Baptist didn't fed anyone. Jesus fed many. John the Baptist preached judgment, Jesus building and upon that bad news, completing the gospel saying, look what you will get. The kingdom where I am the king, where I am the sovereign. When you repent and you turn around from sovereign rule of your life to my sovereign rule, to the earth would be filled with justice and love in kindness. He emphasizes the love of the God in, in what, what Paul would say, don't you know that it is the kindness of God that leads you to 
repentance. And then in this kingdom, you will find security, heavenly kingdom. So Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, building up upon the real need of repentance. He proclaiming the goodness of God. And so Jesus settles among the sinners, and then he preach and teach and speak graciously to those sinners. And so are we. And so are we. We should not dismiss the hell and the judgment, but we should complete the gospel, telling them the good news of the kingdom. That way we follow Christ. Now, if we're moving forward in verses 18 to 22, we see that if the king is to have a kingdom, he would naturally expect the subjects of the kingdom. And so he would go out and to call the subjects, not just a general calling, but specific calling to come in and to follow him. So he begins his ministry and begins his ministry by calling disciples. It's not just incidentally, he knows who he's going to call. He chose them beforehand, and now they will respond. So the point number three, after we settle among the sinners, after we speak to sinners, summon sinners to follow Christ. Someone reach to them and say, well, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Now, the Sea of Galilee, according to Josephus, he's just Jewish historian who lived a little bit far Uh, after Jesus, he reports that at that time, there were 240, 250 boats on a daily routine in the Galilee. So there's a lot of fishermen. There are a lot of people to pick from. But Jesus is walking. He says, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, specifically identifying two brothers. They were casting the nets, Simon and Andrew. He was casting the nets into the sea, and if interesting, we know that Peter had the boat, and for some reason at this time, maybe they didn't catch anything and try, just trying from the shore catching, but they're doing what they, they're supposed to do. They're fishermen, so they're fishing. And just walking on the seashore and picking disciples. As they try to pick the fish, he's picking the disciples. Jesus knew those two brothers. I mean, there was cousins, first of all, the, he, he knew them. Peter and Andrew were, were cousins of Jesus. Because these guys, I'm sorry, I might be mistaken on this. I'm mixing with John, uh, James and, and, uh, and John. But he knew them, them because John the Baptist, when he proclaimed that this is the Lamb of God, it was Andrew who followed Jesus. And it was before this. And they said, well, where do you dwell? Help us to see you. How do you live? And they follow him. So there's about a year span probably passed from that time. But he knew them. And that was not a first uh, introduction of Jesus when he walked them. But he picked them. And he picked them. And he, he, he called them with a very specific calling, come after me. Come after me. Now, it's interesting that this is what, what rabbi do. A young rabbi or old rabbi, when he wants to pick a new disciple, he would come and say, well, come after me. And literally, he would say, gate behind me. It's the same word that Jesus said to Peter later on, get behind me, Satan. So just just set aside your agenda and get behind my 
agenda. And so Jesus getting around these teenagers, these youngsters, and said, well, go follow me and imitate the teacher. But he does it with very effectious calling, very effectious calling. To that calling, Peter and, and Andrew and, and John and James could not say no. The difference between the general call and the proclamation of the gospel and effectuous call is that the first is general and, and it could be refused. The second, you cannot ignore. Effectuous call, what Jesus does, he called them and he brings to their hearts the passion for the obedience. I could call people to follow Jesus, but it is the Holy Spirit who convinced them to actually do that. Jesus expressed this in John 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my own hand. Yes, Jesus invites and yet they follow. Remember, at this point, there are few categories of people that follow him. And there's only four disciples right now that actually responded. But there would be many others, like 70 other disciples that will run away. And there were a crowd that were just walking around Jesus. Now, Peter said that this effectual calling, he says, now I realize the truth is that God does not show partiality, but accepts men from every nation who fears him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And these disciples responded. These disciples responded. Now, I wanted to mention that this is not a call for ministry. It might seem that, that he called them to be an apostle. He will make them apostles later. Now he's just calling them like he's calling you to be his followers. Get behind me. Drop everything you have and follow me. These young men drop everything they got, you know, because they trusted this man. Now, it's interesting that most of us don't have to change the situation in life. You don't have to. Following Jesus, drop everything, drop your career, and just go follow Jesus to the seminary. That's not what he means. For some of you, might be. But for the most of the people, that's not what he's talking about. He's not calling to the ministry. He's calling to be a Christian. That's all he does. He's calling to be a Christian. That is an effectuous call. He said, wherever you are, if you're a sales guy, keep selling. If you're a soldier, keep being soldier. When people ask John the Baptist, what should I do, soldier? What should I do? He said, well, make sure that you don't take what is not yours. When tax collector asked, what should we do? Should we change the profession? And he said, no, 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 just be tax collector. Just don't take over what you're supposed to take. Be a Christian. Be follower of Christ, meaning that you are accepting his agenda. And wherever you are, you follow him. You follow him. Now, it's interesting the disciples did just that. They dropped everything and followed. 
Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody change their religion, their affections, and their, um, their desire to follow? Well, because they trusted the man, that's all. They didn't have the clear gospel at this moment. They didn't understand that Jesus is going to die. Had no clue. In fact, later on, he tells them, I'm going to die and be resurrected. They just like passing from one year to another. They didn't understand that he would be resurrected. They did not know the program. They did not know what will entail. They did not know the cost. They did not know that all of them except John will die. They had no idea. Why did they respond? Well, because it was affectionate call by God. And apart from God, you cannot do that. But on the other hand, they trusted the man. Isn't that what we do? Imagine if, if your friends would say, hey, listen, I found this nice restaurant. It's really good. You just have to go. And how does he convict, convict, uh, convince you to go, usually? You know, if he's your friend, he, he would say, why should I go? And so, well, man, I'm telling you, bro, you just have to go. And, and that's it. This is, this is the whole explanation and the whole persuasion. You just have to go because I tell you, and you should trust me that this is good, and I know you. And so that's exactly the same how doctor prescribes the pills, and we take the pill. We have no idea what's inside, what side effect is going to do. We do not know. We just trust the man that he knows what he's doing. And this is the, exactly the same thing. When Jesus is calling, he's not laying out the program all for you, You're not going to get it. You don't have the capacity to understand. All you have is him. All you have is this gracious king who is telling you the gracious news that I will accept you. And God, by the power of the spirit, goes into your heart, changes it, and say, yes, that's worth it. That's worth it. He's the king of heaven in human flesh, invites you to follow him because he's credible. You could trust him. He is true, true that you do not know what's going to cost you, true that you do not know his full program for you, true that you don't have an experience with him yet. But if you trust him, he will carry you through. These disciples, they had no clue, but they followed Jesus. They just they follow. They didn't ask, like, stop, Jesus, okay, Can you list all the points, all the program, the vision for your ministry, please? Because otherwise we can't. There are many, many other people who call in us, just give us this. And Jesus, well, here's the vision. Trust me, follow me. Get behind me. Get in line. I'm going to lead you. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. And so for us too, like Christians, if we're following Jesus, I mean, what do we do? We say, hey, get behind me because I'm behind Jesus. And that's what we're asking people to do. Why would we do that? You're not credible. Yeah, I know, but Jesus is. What's the full program? I do not know either, but I know what he said and where he leads to the kingdom of heaven, and I'll be there. Do you want to come? Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. He said, follow me, and then he gave them a promise. What promise did he give them?
and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I will make you. You know, what Jesus is saying is that I'm going to change your priorities. I'm going to change your priorities. Not I'm going to change your profession. I'm not going to change your profession. I'm not talking about that. I'm going to change your priorities. And the priority is that you were caring about yourself and money and fish. Because for fishermen, money, uh, it's money, right? It's like for the real estate agent, sailing houses is, is his fish, is his money, is his security, is his comfort. So he's not calling sales agent, uh, a real estate agent to change his profession. He changed the priority. You were going after money. You were going after this fish and that particular thing. Now I'm going to change the priorities. And, and a treasure would be not the money, but the souls of men. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your priorities. You know, later on, Jesus, after he follows, he actually goes back to fishing. If you read Luke chapter 5, it's uh, things that happen after. And, G- and he's, he fished all night. He can catch anything. And Jesus walked in his boat, and he said, we'll drop out the nets. And he catched the amount of fish that he didn't see before. And he said, well, I'm going to drop this fish. And fish is no longer my priority. You're the holy one. Jesus said, follow me. And he dropped it all. At the best day of his life, the best day of his career, he dropped all the fish and walked out. Why? The priority has changed. The point here is not the change of profession, but change of heart. For most of us, that's what needs to happen. That's what happened. And Jesus said, I will make you the fishers of men. He didn't tell you, he didn't tell us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to fish men. I'm going to give you a skill. You're going to be a skillful person how to catch man. He said, no, 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 I will make you. You know, I could resonate with that. I like fish just, you know, on occasion, like once in 10 years kind of deal. You know, but just to go after fish, it's not my thing. Or hunting, you know, maybe it would be nice to go on hunting. But it's not my thing. To make me a skillful hunter, I mean, you probably could, right? Just training and stuff. But to make me a hunter, that would be different. It's just not my thing. Or a golf, you know, you could, you could make, but it's, it's a skill. It's not talking about the skill. I'm going to tell you the gimmicks of how to catch men. Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to give you heart for people. I'm going to change you. You know how before you were so interested in how do you set up the net and lure the fish? I'm going to tell you not just to lure people into heaven. In fact, you can't do that. You can't lure people into heaven. You have to have a heart for it. And apostles, when they preach in Acts, they didn't use gimmicks or trickery or slick techniques or deceitful schemes. They just preached the word. And the word had effect because they had passion for it. They preached, they taught, that converse on the gospel of Christ, and thus they fish for men. Now, interesting point. When, when disciples just started following Jesus, they were lousy fishermen for men. They were lousy. They, he said, I'm going to make you. I'm going to give you this heart. But it wasn't obvious. If you remember later on, John and James, the, the glorious evangelists, right? When they went to the Samaritan village, 
and, and they didn't accept Jesus, and they said what? Let's just give him grace, right? Let's just stand here and plead and pray. No, they said, let us bring fire from heaven and kill them all. That kind of evangelist they were. That kind of heart they had for the people. Now, they learned. They learned to have the heart for people. And Jesus promised them to every disciple. It's not just for the evangelist and not just for pastor. For every Christian, follow me, become Christian. And I will give you a heart that is enough, compassionate enough to see people and to turn them around to follow me. And he did this by building their character, by changing their ambitions, by giving them understanding, by building the trust. And finally, by giving them hope that if you do that, I'll be behind you as well. And you will catch. You will catch. You will produce much fruit. Finally, number four. So we were settled with sinners as Jesus. We speak with sinners as Jesus did. We bring people to follow Christ like he did. And we also sympathize with people. Finally, it says, verse 22 to 25, Jesus was going throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogue and preaching. Teaching and proclaiming. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching is heralding. You're just telling people. It's basically announcing. If I would say, hey, this is a good book. You just have to read it. Always ready by Bunsen. And, and so what is it about? Oh, it's about how you become you know, wise in how you speak with people. And, and just going and just announcing and just proclaiming. So this is a great thing. You just have to pay attention. But then when I teach, I take the book and actually teach detail. That's what Jesus did. He, it says he preached, he teaching in their synagogues when they're sitting and explaining and proclaiming the gospel were among the people. He was proclaiming the gospel among the people. He was saying, Herald, I am the king. The kingdom is coming. Repent. Then he goes to them and he detailedly explaining to them what does it mean. He advertised it. And then he just takes people and just teach them. And Jesus spoke powerful words, eternal words, like no man before has spoken. No man. People were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority and with grace. But you know, one could have all the teaching in the world and all the power to heal and all the knowledge but if one doesn't have compassion to come and to teach people and to be patient with them, the one does not have compassion to go among the sick people, no power would be useful and no teaching would be useful. Jesus had sympathy. He sympathized with people. He had compassion with the sinner. He has compassion to teach Because that's what you do when people do not understand. You just don't drop the bomb of the truth and walk away. You spend time teaching them until they get it. And sometimes it takes years. And then Jesus showed compassion by healing. It says all kinds of sicknesses, various diseases, pains, you know, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. See, Jesus has no partiality, nor whether your nationality, 
He didn't ask, like, from where you are, what region? No, I don't work with those regions. You know, you're just from Kaiser. No, I don't accept that. He, he accepts them all. It doesn't matter who you are. He didn't did partiality about the sickness, what kind of sick person you are. You know, we choose. I don't like to be around sick people. I just don't. I mean, nurses, praise God for you. You might like it, but it's, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant, but Jesus had no partiality. Oh, you sick with leprosy, please stay away because, you know, you, you contaminate the... No, he just coming in. You have fourth stage of cancer, pancreatic cancer? Okay, coming in. He didn't ask, how did you get this sickness? How did you get the cirrhosis of your liver? Because you were drinking too much? No, there's no grace for you. No, he accepted them all. Didn't ask questions. I mean, our Democrats would probably love Jesus. He would be the free given medicine, except Jesus paid for that medicine by himself. He didn't steal from any other rich folks. But he did it without partiality because he was compassion to people, just compassion to the folks. He saw them all. And as a result of this compassion, the news spread about Christ wide. I mean, people from all over the area. Galilee, 10 cities in Edom, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Everybody was like, man, this dude is so awesome. It's not just, he just feels compassion. He wants to be around us. Now, just a note majority of those people never accepted Christ in his lifetime. They just came from free medicine and free food. But that didn't stop Jesus. He just did it. Just did it. Just preached and teach and heal. You know, following Jesus in this aspect might seem like a lot of sacrifices. I mean, settle among the sinners. And then I have to speak to them because it's very uncomfortable. And then I have to, you know, just ask them specifically to follow Christ, not just to listen, but make this decision to follow Christ. And then I, I would have to show compassion to them like Christ and not to check out. Sounds like a lot of sacrifice but only if you count it wrong. Only if you count it wrong. And if I tell you to buy a house right now for the price of 50 years ago, would that be a lot of sacrifice? You'd say, like, sign me up. Sign me up. If I, if I say, buy a Tesla stock for $30, like it was in 2019, which right now it's 800. Would that be a lot of sacrifice? I mean, you would say, at that time it was. It was a lot of sacrifice. It was a lot, a lot of money, but right now it's not. Well, it's the same deal with Jesus. He said, follow me. Uh, yes, you're going to drop your boat. Yes, you're going to change your priorities. Yes, you're going to change how you collect your treasure. But what I'm offering you, it's far more rich. I'm offering you the kingdom of heaven. You know, 
all these trinkets means absolutely nothing, would mean absolutely nothing in the kingdom of heaven when we get there. So settle among sinners, says Jesus. Don't think too highly about yourself. Don't think too highly about your sanctified life, like you're going to be contaminated by those people. Just live in Capernaum. Live where you are. Speak to the sinners about Jesus. Learn to love people, to share good news with them. Tell, tell them about this king who loves them and shares his kingdom, makes his subject his sons. Summon them to follow Christ. But then don't forget to sympathize with them, for they need a lot of grace. We pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. Far, far away from Jesus' uh, ultimate example, we are finding ourselves this morning, but we're finding ourselves in grace that there is hope for us. There is hope for Zebulun and Naphtali, region of Galilee. There's hope for us. There was hope for the people who need to repent, and there's hope for us. There is hope for those who follow Christ, Simon, Peter, James, and John. There's hope for us. There's hope for every sick person to find grace, and there's hope for us too. I pray that we may resemble Christ and to follow him in this regard. Justified by his righteousness, now we can reflect who he is and be like him. Pray this morning for myself and for all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.